Right. It's like, it sounds like, Max, you're saying all of this is placebo. All of this is context and all of this is this false narrative. Welcome back to Training Room Talk, powered by Precision Performance Physical Therapy. Here we talk about pain, rehab, performance, and education. If you have questions about the nuance that we dive into, please reach out to us. We would love to talk to you about it. Apart from that, we hope you guys enjoyed today's episode, and we hope everyone stays safe and is staying healthy. Welcome back to Training Room Talk, powered by Precision Performance Physical Therapy. My name is Dr. Max LePage, and I am joined by Dr. Nick Perigini. Hey, guys. And we're going to be having a little bit of a conversation today about manual therapy. Uh, yeah, so very uh, hot topic, obviously, in the PT realm, has been for a while. Um, and much like everything else, you know, we just had a conversation about techniques. So if you didn't listen to that uh, episode, go back and listen to that. But we, we talked a little bit about the pendulum swinging on that. And as it does with everything in this world, it's swung from a position with manual therapy of, you know, extreme and utmost importance to an absolute lack of support oh, and, yeah. you know, and use. Irresponsibility. For, yeah. Like, yeah. So we're going to dive into, you know, maybe bringing that the nuance into the conversation so we can understand, you know, where is the midline of this pendulum? Where is the the moderate approach here? And for some context, uh, obviously, if you're familiar with the podcast, you're familiar with us and our, our background to some degree, um, both come from a, a kind of performance, coaching, barbell sports background, the both of us. We went to PT school, uh, both after, you know, we both graduated after 2015, so fairly young in the profession. Um, And then for myself, I come from a background of uh, currently being an orthopedic physical therapy residency at Jefferson here in Philly. Uh, That residency is run by Dr. Chris Keating, who is uh, fellowship trained in manual therapy, um, which even to his credit, he says, teaches you more about when not to use it than when to use it, but has spent obviously a lot of his academic career and professional career discussing and, you know, having conversations about the nuance of manual therapy. So hopefully I can, you know, use some of that education that I'm getting there and some of those critical thinking and, and nuanced ideas to elucidate this topic a little bit, especially as it pertains to performance-based physical therapy settings. Um, so just to set the foundation here, Nick, what is, what does the conversation, not that you have look like, Mm. but that you see happening out there in the social media ether look like? Yeah. So manual, manual therapy, you know, traditionally is, is, is this thought process or when, when using it uh, maybe in a, in a negative light is this, is this idea that we're using, you know, our hands or some kind of external force to fix a dysfunction that we found upon our evaluation, right? We have someone's spine that's out of alignment and you're having pain because that spine is out of place. And by our hands putting your bone back in place, we are now not going to have pain. Right or my thumb is digging into your skin and you're having uh, a release of this trigger point uh, that was the origin 
of your pain and that without my clinical skill set to one, identify these limitations or structural dysfunctions or structural abnormalities, uh, in addition to my toolbox or my physical tool that I use, whether it's uh, my hands, a manipulation, a needle, uh, instrument, whatever it is, that's going to be the thing that gets you out of pain, right? And that you've developed these these dysfunctions over time. And the only way for you to get better is with me and my exclusive knowledge. Yeah. So that is a, a wonderful kind of presentation of the thought process that was formally adopted by the majority of physical therapists, chiros, rehabilitation professionals, uh, and is still kind of pervasive to some capacity, right. uh, particularly in you know less up-to-date practice settings or, or clinicians. Um, so we then come to a modern understanding of pain, which we kind of summarized in that last conversation on technique in the previous episode, but understanding that, you know, our hands are not capable of breaking up scar tissue yeah, or adhesions. Deforming fascia. If we were that sensitive and we, you yeah, know, the put a barbell on our, back, on our back, we would disintegrate. Create a and, change, yeah. Um, you know, we're just not that fragile, and that's a good thing. Um, and at the same time, these ideas, a lot of which kind of come from a chiropractic background in terms of the narratives behind spinal malalignment and, you know, th things being subluxed and out of place. Bone out of place model. The e boop model. Yeah. That model, um, you know, has been shown to be invalid and those things just aren't out of place. And uh, a lot of this becomes much more complicated when you recognize that those models just aren't supported by right. modern evidence. Right. And then you're like, okay, well, if those models are not supported, then should I even put my hands on anyone? Like, what is this doing? Because people do seem to say that they feel better, you know? And for sure. And there was a, a great paper that was published, uh, I believe in 2019 by Joel Bielowski, who was the lead author that was uh, titled Mechanisms of Manual Therapy. So he goes into... You know, what is actually happening when you put your hands on someone and you utilize a certain technique and they report an improvement or don't report an improvement? Like, what is that mechanism that's going on there? And he goes into a, an incredibly elaborate investigation of what all of the possible mechanisms might be, both from a physiologic standpoint and from kind of a psychological and contextual standpoint. So physiologically, you know, the, the proposed theory here is that, you know, you are stimulating some mechanoreceptors in the joint, similar to how you would be if you just moved, you know, performed some exercise. So you're stimulating that joint, those receptors that's sending some stimuli up to the brain that the brain may be interpreting as, you know, less threatening or non-painful or desensitizing. You also have... Uh, as they've shown in fMRI studies and, and you know certain brain scans that after performing a manipulation, maybe we are getting an activation of descending inhibiting pain pathways from the brain. So the brain is again perceiving an area as maybe less painful right. as a result of you doing something. Um, but then all of these things being very dependent on the context upon which things are happening. So if you, 
do something to someone and you're in a position of authority, you know, you have a, a doctoral degree, you have an education, you've worked with people and you tell them this is going to work. And then you do a technique and they report a benefit. How much of that is coming from what the technique is actually doing physically yeah. versus the trust, the trust the buy-in, and yeah, the buy-in the, that, that's going on the there. Um, and so what certain, and Joel kind of, Bielowski lays this out in this article, all of these contextual factors and how everything kind of interfaces together and, and provides a very over-encompassing or overarching kind of model for these mechanisms. And there's a great image in there that you can go reference at. And I'll link this or I'll reference this article in the show notes along with a couple others that kind of support this, this model. Um, but what authors, other authors like Chad Cook have started doing and some of the research on manual therapy, which historically we need to preface by saying is fairly poorly done in terms of not having control groups, not having, a, you know, coming in with a, an implicit bias. or So the body of literature is huge. The body of literature is huge. But the quality of the studies, not so much. Not so, so much. you know, oftentimes you, t- you see a manual therapy study and what you'll see is like, hey, one group receives this intervention which will say be a manipulation where i you know do a low amplitude high velocity thrust to their you know mid back and the other group receives a sham treatment sham manual therapy where maybe you just very lightly press on your back but you're almost doing nothing and so the person obviously in one group compared to the other one group recognizes that you're actually doing something. You're applying some force to their body. They feel a pop. They feel a crack. The other group, almost nothing is being done to them, and the clinician knows that. And so there's a, a, a strong perceptual difference from one group to the other, and we don't know how much of that is impacting the intervention or the outcomes of the intervention because when you see, hey, this group did way better, you don't know, is it because I truly... Ch- pressed on their bone and created a, a mechanism here that's physiologic or is it because clearly there's a difference in the context and there's a difference in the you know expectations from the patient similarly to we see this with you know placebo controlled trials where you give someone a very small yeah. white pill yeah versus the a level, very large the red level pill. and the level of invasiveness the, the the size of the of the intervention yeah that the so bigger that, the better yeah that absolutely correlates yeah. with the expectations and the, the size of the placebo that occurs there but um, going back to kind of the the Chad Cook model where he has now included in some of the manual therapy study this concept of clinical equipoise and they have included this variable as a covariate. And what that means is if, say I look at a study on lung cancer, right? And I wanna look at the difference between one group and the other on lung cancer. Well, I probably wanna factor in smoking as a potential confounding variable. And if it so happens that one group has many more smokers than the other group, I need to understand how much of this impact or the difference between the two groups from an exercise standpoint, am I seeing a difference just because one group happens to smoke a lot, sure. right? So that's what you would call a covariate. And you would include that in your statistical analysis as something that might play a factor and you wanna you know, remove that influence. So they've started doing this in certain manual therapy studies, specifically when they're you know, 
of higher quality. And that's this clinical equipoise. So what they'll do is they'll ask the clinicians giving the intervention. Nick just knocked his mic over very rudely. He's getting excited. Um, yeah, this is a very exciting topic. Um, so they'll ask clinicians, you know, what do you believe about this intervention? And what they find is that when the clinician believes that the intervention is going to be beneficial versus not, that's actually a pretty powerful covariate in the analysis. And they actually sure. find that maybe that is driving things a little bit more mm. because, you know, obviously, even though you're going through a research study, the participant is asking the researcher, what is this doing? Like, what are you doing here? And there's a narrative that the researcher is going to give and the extent to which they buy into the intervention is going to maybe set the scene for the participant. And so they're finding like, hey, the outcomes that we're seeing here are actually pretty dependent on whether the clinician believes this is going to work or well, not. You can't sell a product you don't believe in. Exactly. And so now they're starting to see, okay, when we include this clinical equipoise, covariate, we're starting to find that, man, these outcomes are actually pretty heavily dependent on this thing rather than on the specific technique, the specific thing that we do. And then on an additional note in the research, when we ask people, which group do you think you were in? They pretty much know. Yeah, they know. They know. And so you'll see again that you're not really fooling people with sham interventions. And so we again get to this thing where the the two groups know I'm in the control receiving the BS intervention or I'm in the actual group receiving an actual thing. They know which group they're in. And you have clinicians who are studying manual therapy. So they probably have some, you know, already pre-established bias towards buying into the intervention to some degree because they're studying it because yep. they like it. And so now you're layering these two factors on. And if they're not taken into account in the literature as covariates and they're not being completely clear with including this clinical equipoise, you can get a lot of research support for the intervention that isn't actually quite as, support as, as supportive as it would otherwise be if you recognize and included all of these contextual factors. Right. So if viewing the research from this lens, someone listening is probably thinking to themselves, well, what the, f like, what the F all of this, <laughs> all of this, I was going to about to lose our explicit, <laughs> our explicit content yep. status on Spotify. I give you the eyes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Don't do it, man. Um, people might be thinking, what do I make of this? Because right. it really sounds like you're saying, yeah, it's pretty deflating. Right. It's like, it sounds like, Max, you're saying all of this is placebo. All of this is context and all of this is this false narrative. And on the same token of looking at manual therapy from, you know, a potentially beneficial lens from the patient standpoint, it's also very important to recognize that the narratives that you use are potentially harmful as well because you want patients to walk away from rehab with the sense that they have the self-efficacy and the autonomy to self-manage and to navigate their experience with pain in you know a, a non-dependent way that they're not depending on this manipulation they're not depending on the soft tissue work yes. in order to relieve themselves from pain 
And if you were to talk manual therapy up to the extent that you may feel you need to in order to get an effect. Is it really the manual therapy? Yeah. Then you realize, well, if I were to make the manual therapy as effective as I should or could with the narrative, well, I'm doing this other really negative thing by making the person believe that they need me to right. fix them. Right. And that those are conflicting points of view. And that's led, again, a lot of people to swing the pendulum to the other side and say, hey, we need to preserve the narrative at all cost, make people maximally self-efficacious and not give them any perception at all that they need me as as an authoritative provider. And so for that reason, I'm not doing anything manual therapy. I'm not going to put my hands on anyone. So the question is, you know, what is ethical evidence-based manual therapy look like? And that is that is absolutely the question. That's the question. Is can I utilize these techniques? We know there is some benefit. Yeah, we know that there's some benefit. Is there a way for me to use them while not harm giving a harmful narrative and while not instilling, you know, false beliefs in the person about what they need in order to get better? Sure. And I think that yes, there is a way to utilize these things i think as a as a an initial basis the degree to which you'll use manual therapy when you're doing it in that lens is going to be far 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 less than the degree to which manual therapy has been used in the past and that's just outright the consequence of recognizing these additional factors absolutely right like if I were to get, I can't give you a percentage of how often you should use it because can't. I see a very different population than a lot of other clinicians. Um, but when we look at, if I were to try to give you some concrete basis, right? If you were to see a patient for 60 minutes, it is unlikely that I would ever in an orthopedic musculoskeletal setting spend more than 20 minutes on manual therapy. Yeah. It's also unlikely that I would probably spend more than 10 minutes on manual therapy. Now, there are different things that are going to inform this decision-making. How high pain severity is the person in? How irritable is the person presenting to me with? Do they fit certain clinical prediction rules that suggest a very high likelihood of success with uh, a manipulation or a manual technique, those things are going to influence whether or not I use them. But when you look at my practice, the vast majority of my pie chart is filled with exercise and education. Yes. Manual therapy is a very small portion of that. I think that that's fair to say. And, and why, and you know, why would that be in there, right? So you're looking at severity, you know, irritability, nature, kind of using that, that SINS model to help guide, and also the clinical prediction rules to you know, make informed decisions about the likelihood of success in your treatment of maybe someone with a painful condition. Yeah, so my first barrier is understanding what this person's beliefs are. Right. That's the first thing that I have to pass before I decide to utilize an intervention. So if the person comes to me and they have a hard line belief that they need my hands in order to get better, 
I am much less likely to use a manual therapy technique because I want to do my due diligence in educating that person and instilling a perspective that's a little bit different. And that's a hard conversation to have and that's a very nuanced conversation to have. But if the person has beliefs that you know, are very hard line, they need manual therapy, I'm much less likely to use it. Sure. But if the person seems to have very positive coping mechanisms, they tend to confront painful conditions, you know, they tend to have positive coping strategies in terms of trying to remain active and, you know, not feeling like they need a quick fix. These are things that open the door for me a little bit on, Agreed. hey, maybe I will use this technique or maybe I will use something. But again, I need to pass step two. Yeah. Step two is, is the technique even worth mine and the patient's time? And that is going to be, like you said, dependent on the SINs model. So severity, irritability, nature, stage, stability. But the big two here will be severity and irritability. In general, manual therapy is going to be something that we use in order to modulate someone's pain in the very short term. So it'll change the way something feels for a very brief period of time. I'm not changing anything structurally. I'm changing the way that the person's feeling, probably from the way that their brain interprets that region and from kind of the, the effect that that's having on the nervous yeah, system. Yeah, and I think it's important just to note there that, you know, although we understand that we're maybe not changing anything structurally, the patient can very easily feel that that's the case, right? Yeah. Like w when you feel your back is out or your hip is rotated and there is an adjustment, it feels like things are in line right and, then, and that's and that's where we're saying that hey maybe it's not necessarily you know the technique isn't so harmful or the technique we know there it can work and there is benefit there but now it's about making sure we're explaining and use a narrative that actually fits a modernized approach to, to pain absolutely yeah and and that's like the final stage when you decide i actually am going to use it that's when you need to ensure that the education side of it and the context that you you know, put forth when using it is, you know, going to be what's best for the patient in terms of ensuring that they don't develop, you know, maladaptive beliefs sure. about, you know, them needing this thing and, and that they really understand what we are doing and, and especially what we're not doing. Um, but again, like getting back to the, the severity and irritability, that's step two of whether or not I'm going to use a technique or not. When we recognize that this is a pain modulating thing, I'm probably not going to use it if you don't have pain, right? Uh, and I'm probably only going to use it if the amount of pain that you're having is going to interfere with our opportunity to do the things that we need to do long term in order to get better, right? So. A concrete example of that could be someone comes in, they tweaked their back two weeks ago, deadlifting, they show no red flags, we've ruled out any sinister pathology, and I want to, you know, maybe work into some positions today and load some positions, and I see that, hey, you fit this clinical prediction rule that suggests a high level of success for uh, lumbar manipulation, and because you are highly irritable and have a high pain severity, I am going to use a lumbar manipulation in order to create some degree of a window of time in which maybe you feel a little bit better, you have a little bit less irritability, right. a little bit lower severity, and then we can maybe load certain positions today in our session 
and maybe we are promoting movement in a little bit less fearful way because you do have you know the sensation that you feel a little bit better if that's not the case and you come in you're like yeah i've had this little like nagging back pain it kind of comes and goes and it's not too it's not too bad i can do most stuff it's just when i get up to 135 on the deadlift that starts that's when it starts to bother me yeah that person manual therapy is not on the table for me i don't see the value there in terms of even introducing something that could possibly no, make you feel like I, you need me, I, I don't want to go that route. Yeah. So again, like step one, what are the beliefs? Do I think that I can apply this technique with the appropriate consideration of not instilling maladaptive beliefs? Step two, do you meet a set severity and irritability level that would dictate that this technique would even be valuable or worth our time? And then step three is going to be in actually introducing the technique to the person, very much so delineating between what this is and is not doing and what this intervention has as a role in the context of the greater program sure. in terms of like you were How alluding to, you know, what we're doing from put, putting things back in place or not, obviously not, but having that conversation uh, about what this is and is not doing. And again, like within that framework, I'm totally comfortable using a manual therapy technique sure. for someone with neck pain, with maybe some radiating pain down their arm or some stiffness because they woke up with that like crick in their neck a week ago. And we're going to get through some positions. We're going to go front squat or we're going to go, you know, do some things that are important to you and load those positions. I'm okay with sitting on the table and doing eight to 10 minutes of manual therapy beforehand to make you feel a little bit better. As long as you understand that this is a temporary change and we're just doing this so you can exercise more effectively. And I like, I want you to feel better too. You know, yeah, that's, uh, that's I'm not opposed thing. to making people feel better. And that's almost like what it seems like some yeah. clinicians are opposed to. Yeah. Um, but within that framework, I'm totally comfortable introducing a certain technique. What are your thoughts? Yeah, Max. I mean, I think you covered it all there, man, but um, no great, great recap. And you know, personally, Use of manual therapy, I would say, since since graduation has steadily declined. In that, you know, going into most cases, trying to really understand the, the context of what has led this person, you know, to me in in, in this moment. Um, understanding again beliefs, looking at irritability and sensitivity a little bit more uh, closer for me has been a, been a game changer in understanding where we actually need to go in a, in a long term situation. If we do need to put a fire out in that in that temporary short term um, time frame, sure. Like like you're saying, you know, using uh, a piece of my session to help calm some things down before getting into the ability to accept more stress on the body or explore uh, some new end ranges to desensitize those areas. Yes, absolutely. I think that there is a, a a piece there that can be beneficial and is useful. But again, for me, coming back down to making sure that we're explaining why we're doing what we're doing. Because if we don't, our patients, our clients are going to get their, their information from Google, from WebMD, from an Instagram account with a million followers talking about you know why you have neck pain why you have low back pain and that without this person's hands on them you know you're not going to get out of pain right so you know we, we have a duty uh as 
you know, evidence-based and direct access uh, practitioners to be able to give these stories and these narratives to help, you know, uh, again, provide a more accurate evidence-based narrative that promotes self-efficacy and uh, doesn't create a dependence on the practitioner. Yeah, and I think when you really lay it out to the person and you do have this conversation with them, most people seem to be very receptive to the idea that like, hey, yeah, I've, I've been dealing with this back pain on and off. I have been to a Cairo. I have, you know, gotten some yeah. soft tissue. And guess what? You still have back pain. Yeah, I, I think I think that story is so important, right? It's and, and people a lot of times are like reassured, like, oh wait, what do you mean I don't I don't have to live like this forever, or like I don't have to always go back and to someone to get it fixed forever. And again, that's where we can start introducing, hey, well, why are you in pain in the first place? And start talking about capacity, start talking about loading, start talking about grade exposure and variability and those types of things. And, and again, that kind of shifts the, the, the focus from, hey, putting a bone back in place to actually, are you prepared for the stress that, that's going to be placed on your body? Yeah. So as with many conversations in this space, uh, the pendulum swings from one side to the other. And I say that all the time. Hopefully we've provided enough nuance. I think that this this is a potentially a three-hour conversation, sure. right? And um, we, we can only scratch the surface in a half hour. But hopefully this provides you some insight into what would a moderate you know thought process look like or a moderate approach look like when considering a modern understanding of pain and of the nuance behind using manual therapy in clinical practice um, and doing so in a way that you know you're you do no harm at least right. as much as you can possibly try which is our most important kind of job as physical therapists and and just a note on that I, I truly do believe that you know healthcare professionals doctors physicians anyone who's putting their hands on a, a patient or client is intending to do no harm, yeah. right? And, and that's where sometimes having th- these moments where you're learning about pain, learning about manual therapy, learning about proposed mechanisms, you know, it can be a light bulb moment for a lot of practitioners. And, you know, going back to Zach Abor's, you know, quote is like, we, you know, we, we do the best we can until we know better. You know, when we know better, you know, we have to do better. And that may, that may mean, you know, rethinking what we're actually doing with our clients and, 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 and more specifically, you know, how we're explaining that. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. And I, I think like if you're out there and you're listening to this and you're thinking to yourself, man, maybe I am just like applying this technique and I, I'm not thinking about That's it. That's a good or, moment to have. You know, I, I'm not reasoning through this. And am I doing this too much, or 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 maybe have I, you know, thrown the the baby out with the bathwater yeah. on this one, and and I'm not using it at all, but. Maybe there is a way for me to yeah, include. There is. I think that those are, are really great the, the kind best. of revelations to have and to understand. Yeah, maybe I don't actually have the the whole thing figured out, and and you'd be with us yeah. on that. Like, yeah, well, you're definitely That's so true. You you are in good company on that end. The more moments you have like that, the better. You know, you're on the right track. A hundred percent. That's those are the best moments. Yeah, absolutely. So again, hopefully everyone got some valuable insight on the nuance of this conversation. Um, We are always interested in learning from you and having these conversations with anyone who maybe has ideas that challenge what we've said Mm -hmm. or want to learn a little bit more about 
you know, kind of what we think. And, and again, in the show notes, I'll link those papers in there so you guys can check those out. Um, Nick, if people want to get in touch with you, where can they do that? Yep. Instagram, nickparagini.dpt, or you can shoot me an email, nick at precisionperformancept.com. And same for me, I'm maxlepage.dpt on Instagram, or shoot me an email at max at precisionperformancept.com. And other than that, we, uh, we hope you guys are staying safe, staying healthy. We appreciate you listening, and we will talk to you guys in the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Training Room Talk podcast. We hope today's discussion was helpful in illuminating some of the complexities behind pain and rehab. If you don't know where to go from here, please reach out to us with questions. We have mentorship options for clinicians and students and programming options for you to elevate your own fitness. We look forward to speaking with you and again, hope you enjoyed today's discussion.